Today's episode of Desperately Seeking Entertainment is brought to you by Meet Metalheads. Are you a headbanging single who is looking for a rockin' good time? Ready to possibly expand your mosh pit? Well, check out singles just like yourself, and you might find your rockin' soulmate at meetmetalheads.com. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Desperately Seeking Entertainment. I am one half of the amazing hosting team of this show, Chris Peterson, founder, editor-in-chief of Onstage Blog, and of course the Onstage Blog Network, which is what you're listening to right now. And I am thrilled that you are checking out episode four. Wow. Already four episodes in to Desperately Seeking Entertainment. And these things are just getting better and better, folks. I cannot wait to kind of kick off this episode and talk about the things that we're going to be talking about. Now, I need to forewarn you all, and I would apologize for this later on in the podcast as well. The sound quality on my end this week is not great. And the reason being is that I am traveling literally like on this podcast. I am sitting on the Metro North train line coming back from Manhattan to Yonkers, New York. So that's just want to preface that a little bit in terms of why it sounds like this. It doesn't sound like this right now uh, in this podcast. But thankfully, Ben sounds amazing. And we talk about some really, really good topics. So please pardon the atrociousness of my end, but that's how important this podcast is to me because I didn't want to delay. I had a lot of travel I had to do today for work. Didn't want to put this thing off because there are some hot topics that I wanted to talk about with all of you. So that's how important this podcast is to me and it's how important it is to Ben. And uh, you will definitely see that on this episode. So can't wait to break it all down. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to go into our five-on-five five picks of the week. And then, of course, we're going to go a little bit YouTubing this week. So can't wait for that. Check it out, out when we come back. Good friend and excellent, energetic, ridiculous co-host, Mr. Ben Frawley. How are you, sir? All right. What's going on, people? What's going on, Chris? What's up? What's up? What's up? I love it. I love, I love the energy already. Yeah. Um, before we get started, though, folks, I do have to apologize for <laughs> at least the sound on my end this week. Look, here's the deal. Uh, truth be told, I am on a train right now, riding back from New York City to my hotel in Yonkers. Um as depressing as that sounds. Um, so, but this, this podcast was so important to me that I did not want to reschedule or delay it anymore because there's a lot of important things in, you want to in talk In all about. reality, Chris is kind of a big deal. I am. <laughs> I'm such a big deal that I'm on a train to go back to Yonkers. Not a limo, but a train. I'm a man of the people. What do you want from me? I mean, that's, that's right. The, that's, how I, that's how I roll. You're like Winston but... Churchill. It's amazing. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. One in the same. Cut from the same cloth. Uh, folks, 
in case this is your first time listening to Desperately Seeking Entertainment, here's the rundown. Ben and I uh, are entertainment connoisseurs, if you will. We just absorb everything entertaining from the worlds of film, theater, music, and more. And what we do on this podcast is basically throw each other our five picks for basically big stories or, or newsworthy events or just hot topics in all these different areas and get our genuine reactions to them. Because, Ben, I have no idea what you're going to tell me. That's and, right. And vice versa. So uh, we could get some really hot takes and hot reactions like we have in the past. We could get into some really in-depth conversations. It's uh, it's pretty fun on that yeah. end. So, yeah. uh, and then it, keeps it keeps it lively. Like, we could have prepared more, but I think getting our like reactions on air is kind of a neat thing. Exactly. Exactly. And then of course we wrap up the show with uh, one of my favorite segments, you know, let's go YouTube. It. Let's That's uh, right. let's dive into some, some YouTube wormholes that both of us are falling down right now and, and give some recommendations of things that, you know, you could watch as well. So, that's, and I that's am working on that. Uh, I'm working on that theme song to the YouTubing segment. <laughs> we really do have to have one. Uh, we'll definitely get there. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So, let's kick things off, Ben. Why don't you go first, my friend? Okay. Well, this one, uh, this article is from uh, Geek Tyrant, and uh, the headline is Nicolas Cage will star in the martial arts sci-fi action film Jujitsu. Uh, the movie Jiu-Jitsu <laughs> centers on an ancient order of expert Jiu-Jitsu fighters facing fearsome alien invaders in a battle for Earth every six years. Cage's character and his team of Jiu-Jitsu fighters band together with Moose-Size character to defeat the Brax. <laughs> <laughs> to defeat the Brax? B-R-A-X. Is this, is this like a, a mystical like term already that's been established or is this like original for the film well if you know anything about the uh mythos of nicholas cage you should know all terms (laughs) (laughs) i don't know i don't know what the hell that means i just i just i'm all in already and i love how it's being directed by dimitri logothetos of kickboxer vengeance and kickboxer kickboxer retaliation fame that's a murderer's row right there. I know. I mean, the guy is, you know... Uh, Chris, what are your thoughts on that? <laughs> oh, man. Um, well, I mean, you know me. I'm, I can't even, can't even say this is a straight face. Uh, I'm in. Uh, yeah. Anything that sounds like Nicolas Cage is just going to be able to just let loose on a script. I'm, I'm in it. I'm with it. Like, right. I think, I think right. He's, I, we figured out like what to do with him, you know, while he's on this tear and I had a discussion about Nicholas cage and, you know, it's not like this guy is not in the film industry, right? Not the nephew of Francis Ford Coppola doesn't know movie. He knows a lot about films. Like, Oh yeah. There's a great um, GQ interview with him when he runs down his, his career and he talks about, his, you know, he refers to um, 1930s German cinema. And I mean, the guy is a film, has a film knowledge. But I think what we have to do is just let him run with the material and just let him do anything on that screen and just, you know, action. You know what I mean? Right, right. It's almost like wildlife photography where you just have to just sit back and just let the animals do their thing and hope you capture something 
amazing. And you're, observe, yeah, you know you're gonna, you, observe, observe the Nicolas Cage in its natural habitat. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. I mean, I think I think the world has been cheated to the fact that we haven't gotten like a Nicolas Cage reality show yet, because that would be off the hook. Um, yeah. But I mean, this is like the next best thing, right? Where it's like he he goes and explores the the depths of these characters. It's incredible. I'm all in. I mean, I I I know I recommended it a bunch on uh, the first show, but Mandy is definitely the way and the direction he is going. And if you haven't seen it yet, Mandy is the thing to see. And I keep meaning it's on my list. It literally yeah, is and, on my list. Yeah. And I I think once you see it, you'll get it. You'll be like, oh, I see <laughs> I see where we're heading with this this insanity. I love it. I yeah, love and it. anything that can uh, help him buy another T Rex skeleton. You know, oh my you gosh. Just support the man. Just support the man. And, and his castles. He owns castles. So right. like like I mean we all we, the thing with, with Cage, I mean have you you've heard of the Tyson zone, right? Right. Been coined, of course. So we all know. For those of you who don't know, I mean, it was coined by Bill Simmons, where basically you have this person who has reached this level of, I guess you could say, insanity or craziness, where that you could say anything about them, and chances are you believe it. So he calls <laughs> it the Tyson zone, where it's like, hey, did you hear Tyson got into a shark tank and killed a shark with his bare hands? I believe you. I believe you. Nicholas Cage, I think, is on a different level. I don't think he's like, I don't think you could say he's in the Tyson zone. I think it's like there's a Cage zone. I think it's a completely different category. <laughs> to the point where it's like, it comes down to acting choices. Like, hey, did you hear that 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 Nicholas Cage is going to be, you know, playing this such and such role? You know, I believe right. you. Like, right. like Charles Manson on the moon. You'd be like, okay, yep, got okay, it. Yep, I understand. Like, Nicholas I'm Cage is going to... Nicholas Cage is going to star in a biopic about Adolf Hitler, which shows him as a sympathetic character. Okay. Yep. I, okay. I see it. Yep. Let's go. <laughs> like, <laughs> All right. Where's my, I got my money. Day one, I'm there. Like, let's right. go. <laughs> well, and, and yeah, his mythology is getting to another level. Like, and I know we'll talk more about the show that I can't believe we haven't brought it up, but um, Chris, are you familiar with uh, the show Atlanta? Yes. Yeah. Uh, there's a great, there's a great episode where, I forget who's there. I don't know if it's Donald Glover or one of the other characters. I think it might be Paperboy, and he's in the studio with this other young rapper, and uh, the young rapper starts freestyling over the beat, and it's like one of the greatest things, and he's like, uh, I just bought a dinosaur like Nicolas Cage. <laughs> <laughs> it's so great. So his like, name just makes scripts and TV shows. It's like just the, it's this inner joke, and it's just awesome, and Let's just keep them. Let's just keep them going, people. All right, just right. support the films. <laughs> See, I thought what you were gonna say was, "Hey, Chris, did you hear about that show Atlanta? Nicholas Cage is gonna guest star next season." And I was like, "Okay, <laughs> you would believe like, it." <laughs> Atlanta, Nicholas Cage, let's do it. Right, right. He'll be okay. driving an invisible car. <laughs> <That'd be awesome. laughs> oh man, I love it. I love it. All right, yeah. that was my that was my first one. Right after the races, hitting hit, right after the races. So I gotta tell you, um, for billions. This yeah. Is another billions topic. Did you watch? Obviously, did you watch this past week? Of course, of course. Ridiculous, ridiculous. Yep. So I've come to this conclusion so as I'm watching this show. And folks, if you're not on billions yet, get on it, please. Um, the cast is is incredible, top to bottom, and you've got all these classically trained actors from Damian Lewis to Paul Giamatti to Maggie Siff. And 
as they're talking, I'm I'm realizing how almost Shakespearean the script is in terms of how they're phrasing things, the, the way that they're talking to each other and whatnot. And I'm thinking to myself, this is another example of just some of the strongest writing on television right now. And when you when you add this to shows like um, Better Call Saul and Succession mm-hmm. and um, you know, shows like even like Veep on the comedy side. Yep. I want to know, Ben, are we living right now in this golden age of TV writing? What do you think? Well, I think I think the golden age is passes. I mean, we we must be in a platinum age. Um, Whoa, nice. I mean, just the amount of freedom that people have to write and content that we're at another level. Like a show like Billions isn't pigeonholed into episodic television or freeform. It really can go anywhere. And that's the incredible thing. And the show, and it's on the top of shows like Better Call Saul, Breaking Bad, Mad Men, uh, The Wire, um, you know, Homicide Life on the Streets, even like where you, they played with that episodic kind of TV and then just let it run with some storylines that spilled over into seasons and spilled over into other characters spilled over into other shows it was just amazing so i i truly think there's a great book um that my friend josh recommended to me it's called the the revolution was televised it's a great book and it goes through all those shows i just mentioned it goes through the shield actually goes through oz goes through like a lot of the sopranos it goes through all those like early um hbo when it's like coming into its own and just talks about how you know especially the show oz where there were main characters. <laughs> you're, literally, your main characters killed in the first episode. Spoiler alert. Uh, one of them are, and how they were just able to break rules like that, and the network just let them go. Yeah. And in, and sometimes it was so experimental that they lost audience members, but they didn't care. They just kept going. They wanted to see how far they could push it. And so I really truly think that we are in this age where television can is a master of its own destiny. And Chris, you know, we talked about how. Like, I think it was a couple weeks ago we talked about how the movie Clerks, right? It's a great movie yep. just to listen to. Like, you don't need the TV on. Put it on MP3. Take a walk. And, uh, you know, just let, we watched it for the first time in, like, a billion years um, over the weekend with me and my buddies. And I hadn't seen it in so long. And I forgot how many lines I still had in my head. And um, Billions has to be such a pain to write. <laughs> It, it just has to be a monster. I mean, the off-season of Billions must be just writing. Mm-hmm. It, it's just crazy. And, you know, just the pageantry of, you know, the Emmys and all that BS, that's what they're doing in the off-season is writing. They're not they're not out like, oh, talking about Billions on the red carpet. So, I mean, I've said that before, but it's just ridiculous that that show isn't winning every award known to man. I really think that people are going to look back on it and say either we messed up and we missed out on this show I think it's going to be studied, the show. Oh, definitely, definitely. And I'm actually so glad that you brought up The Shield. Um, yeah. Because your dad was fantastic on that show. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, my father looks exactly like Vic Mackey, yeah. <laughs> like, exactly. Just just so we get that out of the way. Um, but yeah, that was that was my first choice. But yeah, no, it's, it's just incredible to see just the strength of writing across all these different shows. And uh, did you get a chance to see the, the Haunting of Hill House on Netflix by any chance? Uh, no, not yet, actually. 
I missed that one. It's, it's, again, another really great show where the writing is just absolutely spectacular to the point where there was one episode where it was so good and much of the episode takes place in one location. I said to my, my wife as we were watching it, this would be the scariest live play I would ever see mm-hmm. if they did this on stage. And, um, you know, it's just that's the, that's the strength of writing these days. It's crazy. I love it. So um, there you go. That was my first pick. What else you got? Excellent. Um, so a bunch of trailers and teasers dropped this week. And one of the biggest, of course, is the uh, teaser for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, the new Tarantino movie. <laughs> It's uh, number nine in the Tarantino saga. He's always said that um, he is doing 10 and then he's out. He said that on Howard Stern. He said that multiple times, even though he's had his hand in different projects for producing. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, he, I think he's just talking about directing. Um, so this one just looks all over the place. Um, it stars, of course, um, Brad Pitt and Leonardo DiCaprio, but right here, speaking of, it also stars uh, Damian Lewis, uh, Timothy Oliphant, Dakota Fanning, Bruce Stern, Lena Dunham, Kurt Russell, and the late Luke Perry. Craziness. The article's up, uh, up rocks. So they're reporting all of that. The trailer looks amazing. I mean, they showed a uh, teaser poster earlier in the week. It didn't look so good, and people were making fun of it. Um, but the trailer, I think, just blew everyone away. So there, right. that's that's huge. That's that's a huge news story this week. Definitely. I mean, that. Look, I mean, the thing with with Quentin Tarantino, again, good, great segue because we're talking about writing. Mm-hmm. I mean, I I think in my generation, maybe he's one of the best two, three screenwriters I've ever seen in my lifetime. Um, and he's really changed the the medium in, in a right. way. I mean, he really inspired a generation of writers that I think we're seeing, you know, getting, getting work today. So um, anything that he does, I'm in because I know I'm going to be absolutely fascinated by, by what I'm about to see. And, um, you know, I was the same way with *Inglorious bastards where I'm just like, I remember watching that movie and shaking my head being like what the brilliance that I was seeing. And I right. couldn't believe it. Um, so with, with once upon a time in Hollywood, First of all, I thought the trailer was fantastic, number one. And I love the end of the trailer when the little girl whispers to Leonardo DiCaprio. That's like, <laughs> that's some of the best acting I've ever seen. And then, like, the next shot, he's like, he's crying. He's like, that's, that's a good fucking note. Um, <laughs> <laughs> let me ask, I mean, I got to be honest. Like, of all, all the actors that I had very little respect for in early in their careers... I don't think there's a single actor that I can think of that my opinion has changed more of in a, in the better way than Leonardo DiCaprio. Um, right. I mean, here's a guy that I thought he was just going to be like the next pretty boy heartthrob, like, okay, we'll see, you know, Titanic and whatnot. And then he just goes the complete opposite direction and starts doing these like ridiculous performances to the point where like, I, I'm, I'm rooting for the guy. I'm like, he's one of the best three, four actors that we have today on screen. So like, um, it's it's crazy to see him, and I think people like Tarantino are a huge reason for that. Right. Well, and and he's kind of taking that um, career path of just working with great directors. Of course, of course, famously working with Tarantino in uh, Django, and of course Scorsese in um, Wolf of Wall Street, and just how he is able to just play that certain niche of a character, and it's just he's writing it. And I totally agree. I mean, I thought he was going to be, you know. Uh, one and done with Critters 4, and, you know, he shocked the hell out of me, so. <laughs> I mean, he really went from someone that's like, 
okay, like he's gonna be like this pretty boy heartthrob. He's probably gonna just do like like the early like Ryan Gosling type of material, and then like now I'm actually ready to call him like the heir to the Jack Nicholson throne. Like it's wow. it's really like you watch like I watched Wolf of Wall Street a couple weeks ago, and I'm like I, I started feeling like man, if I'd seen like. If this movie was made 30 years ago or 40 years ago, I would love to see Jack Nicholson in this role. I just started thinking about that more and more, and I'm like, holy shit. Like, we might be seeing, like, this, the, the guy taking that, that style belt from him, so to speak. So it's, it's crazy. Yeah, and there's just a bunch of articles just coming out about this, even this teaser trailer. Like, even Kevin Smith talks about how the connection between him and Tarantino and, and writing and... Um, he talked about the trailer and how it looks great, and he talked about how when he saw the opening scene to Reservoir Dogs, all the guys talking about Madonna, all these jewel thieves talking about Madonna around the table, how that really inspired him to have characters in a movie referencing movies and pop culture. Of course, Ooh. famously, Clerks referencing like Return of the Jedi and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, he is so influential on like so many levels, and just to think that. You know, maybe this is all a scam, but when you see Tarantino's ninth film and you know that this is his second to last, I mean, it gets you excited and makes you want to just say, hey, I better go and see this thing in the theater. Well, it, it makes you wonder, like, what, well, how is he going to wrap this all up? Like, yeah. I, know, I know that early on, like, he talked about wanting to do another Kill Bill movie and things like that, but I don't know if he's going to go back to that well so to speak, on the directorial side. But, like, it, it's just, like, he, the way he picks his projects... And, again, I talked about, like, you know, how that episode of Haunting the Hill House would make a great play. The Hateful Eight, I mean, put that on Broadway right now. I'd watch it. Like, Oh, exactly. It's, it's all one location. I know. It's all one location. And the dialogue is brilliant. And it's, like, I, it's, I, don't, I don't know the secret to his success. It, it's, it's such a weird... Think, like with Sorkin, you get it because like okay, there's a lot of information, there's a lot of there's a speed to it and things like that. But with with Tarantino, it's a different beast when it comes to his writing, and it's just it's just brilliant. I mean, it really is. Yeah, and I love how I mean, you can obviously see the influences of, I mean, early on, of course, you can see the influences of Seinfeld, kind of talking about nothing. He's, he's definitely mm. talking in that world, but then you can also see, of course, the the references to David Mamet and just how he's able to use the language in a real way. Um, but still, he makes it his own. It's not like you're watching a rip-off artist. And he's been copied so many times now, it feels like we're almost being trite even talking about him. When right. he's still pumping out great work. I mean, Hateful Eight was just a couple of years ago, and that was amazing. And I, I don't know. He, I, I'm really interested... To see if, you know, yeah, his ninth and tenth film, if he'll combine all the universes together, you know, all mm -hmm. his worlds together, all his characters together, like in the Seinfeld last episode kind of way. <laughs> well, hopefully totally different than that, but. <laughs> oh, my gosh, that'd be incredible. But, yeah, no, and I, the other thing I really respect about him, too, is the fact that how he takes these actors that, you know, basically, let's be honest, we've we've forgotten about and kind of reminds us. By the way, these, these they've always been this good, and as long as you give them good writing, like he, I mean, he made Travolta into this like <laughs> it's like oh my god, Travolta's a good actor all of a sudden, um, and you know it, with Hateful Eight, Jennifer Jason Leigh and Bruce Dern and Kurt Russell of all people, so it's just incredible to see him 
you know, bring all these folks into these things. Right. So and, I, and you know what? Just over this last weekend, we were talking about what and a movie experience um, Death Proof and Planet Terror were. Oh, yeah. Uh, me and my fr- a group of friends up here were the only people in all of, <laughs> I think, central New York to go to the theaters with them to go see them. And people were walking out after the first movie, not knowing it was a double feature. We were like yelling at the people as they're walking out during the trailer for Machete <laughs> and just, you know, some of the best parts of the whole experience. And he just makes movie going an experience. I think that's what he's shooting for. Man. You know, it's something that is really lost as we're sitting here on our iPhones watching, you know, <laughs> Gone with the Wind on a three inch screen. You know what I mean? Uh, so it's yeah. just, I think he's trying to get butts in the seats. So you got to admire that. And I feel guilty because I actually just did that on a plane. <laughs> Literally, I was sitting and watching Gone with the Wind on my iPhone. And I, um, oh, really? I just oh, yeah. I just totally called that? You totally called that. Um, and now I feel like an asshole. So, nice yeah. one, dude. <laughs> I mean, no offense. No offense, Chris. It's fine. Right, right. I was just, it's the only device I had on me. And I was just, ah, <laughs> uh, damn it. So, <laughs> good stuff, though. All right, so for my next pick, um... I don't know if you heard, this is kind of a viral story that's happened really in the past 48 hours, to be honest with you. Um, I don't know if you heard the news, but there is a high school in New Jersey, uh, North Bergen High School in yeah. North Bergen, New Jersey. And rather than doing like the traditional, like you can't take it with you or Romeo and Juliet for their high school play this year, they decided to adapt Ridley Scott's Alien. Whoa. So they, they actually did a live stage play of Alien, full on like using like recycled bits and pieces and for uh, the look and, and costuming and, and special effects. And they someone like, you know, because it's a high school play, people obviously were filming it in the seats and things like that. And the pictures and videos have all gone viral to the point where like Hollywood celebrities are commenting on it like Patton Oswalt was commenting on it and uh, Paul Shear from How Did This Get Made and yeah great I think even the official Aliens Twitter account even like was like hey good job um, so good kudos to them however yeah. the caveat in all this and this is where the discussion point is going at no point did the teachers actually get permission from 20th Century Fox <laughs> to adapt. I was just wondering that. I was wondering that. So what? So this teacher, because all of a sudden, like all these outlets are calling him and he's doing interviews with like Entertainment Weekly, admits to Entertainment Weekly that his process was literally staying at home, watching Aliens, downloading the PDF of the script that apparently you can find online. And literally typing out a, a script version of Aliens. Um, even So they basically stole the script from Aliens and did this without ever seeking permission, which is a blatant violation of copyright. Furthermore, which is even more ironic, the guy that did this, he's actually who directed this, he's not technically a theater teacher because the school doesn't have a theater program. It's a theater club that does this. Yeah. He's actually an English teacher. And what's ironic is that, like, an English teacher might not know about, like, theatrical copyright, but he sure as hell knows what plagiarism is. Yeah, plagiarism. Yeah. So he basically plagiarized the script to aliens, copied what was on screen, and then threw it up. And now, like, like, because it's all going viral, like, they're basically, like, they're talking about trying to do encore performances and things like that. And I'm just like, no, (laughs) like... 
congratulations, you got away with it. Like, don't don't push this issue any further. What do you what are your thoughts on all on things like this? Dude, you know what? Good for them. You know, this should totally be allowed. And you know what? If something's written, we should just perform it. Like your first piece that we had like a couple weeks ago about the whole uh, to kill a mockingbird, just that right. whole ridiculous thing. And you know what? Screw it. If it's the the greatest part about the internet, we're sitting here on the internet, Chris. We're on the we're on a podcast for God's sake. And the greatest thing about it is all this content is out there. You could get the Rocky script. You can get the Alien script. You can get any script known to man. You can watch any movie known to man for free. Just get it right. You can just stream it, get it, download it. It's all yours. That's the greatest part of this. And so. With that power, of course, comes great responsibility. But at the same time, we should be able to use that. And you know what? These people that, you know, don't... uh, Things like this stop people from creating art. They stop people from performing. You know, and I've actually done some open mics. I've done some, you know, uh, performances out at local bars here in, like, middle of nowhere, central New York. And, you know, oh, well, we can't have any covers here, gentlemen, because the copyright police will be around and blah, 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 blah. We got warned by, uh, you know, the union and all this shit. You know what I mean? And so now any bar up here, any, like, golf course anywhere can't have music playing because these guys are going around threatening to close their doors. And so that kind of stuff drives me nuts where... You know, we can't go out anymore and watch, you know, a, a little performance in a cafe or we can't go out and watch like in a restaurant, like a little cover band play. We can't do that anywhere because we're scared of like the union copyright police. Man, F that. If that's the reason why you like got into like this business of like writing scripts and creating songs is to like someday down the road, like, <laughs> you know, get like the Seinfeld 10 cent check and hang them up to dry in your apartment. That's bullshit. I hear you. You know, it's funny. I, I take a different side of it a little bit. I, I agree. I agree with your a lot of your points, though. I think that. Well, you know what, Chris? You're the guy that streamed Gone with the Wind. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's your you you get points for that every single time. Like that's I'm that's just going a, to that well every time. Go to that well every time. It's gonna and it's gonna land. It's gonna land. <laughs> um, you know, it's <laughs> it's funny that like. I've written a lot of articles on, on my blog about like illegal productions of Hamilton and mm-hmm. that in the Philippines and like how a, a high school in Buenos Aires did the book of Mormon in blackface, which was really bad when you look at the pictures, but so I do think that I do think that copyright laws are very stringent I think that there are places where they can certainly be loosened. Um, at the same time, I also do think in, in many instances, they do, they do need to be upheld because a lot of times they do end up protecting smaller artists. Like, you know, right. like, you know, Disney doesn't need to worry about like a high school trying to do a concert of Frozen or something like right. that and worrying about the money end on that end. Um, but I mean, if like, if I'm taking songs from a, a, a you know, a, a, not a great well-known artist and trying to make it my own or something like that, then yeah, I've taken money out of that person's pocket and then they could probably use it. So there's, there's a, there's two sides to that, that coin always for me, but I, I'm in agree with you. I think that there is a time where, um, you know, this, this could somehow help or hurt artistic creativity. And 
and, well, and then you have people, you know, up here. Like, imagine you're you're sitting there, and you're writing a song. You're like, oh wait, that sounds a little too much like this song. I better not do it because now I'm worried about copyright infringement. I mean, you should always worry about that when you're creating a new song. Right. But if you're scared to death to even pick up a guitar or something like that, that's when yeah. it gets a little crazy. Like, if you're scared to even go, I mean, I've been, I've literally done an open mic. I've done an original song, then did a cover. That was like uh, one of my favorite bands, The Handsome Family. I love those guys. Um, nice. Just kind of an obscure kind of cover. And uh, I got off stage. My friend was like, oh, man, you kicked ass at The Handsome Family. And the person that ran the open mic came up to me and said, oh, my God, that was a cover. You you can't do covers here. We'll get in trouble. And I'm like, are you kidding me? We're It's a free open mic at a coffee house, and we're worried about someone coming in in like a black hat and sunglasses shutting the doors this is where it's come to like right. we're already covered like up here in central New York, we already have like nine feet of snow on the ground <laughs> we're already locked in our houses like zombies let us go sing some music right. uh. <laughs> <laughs> i mean i guess my 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 thing with this high school is look i think uh, obviously when you look at the pictures and you look at the videos and stuff like that i got i gotta give props to the students for their creativity and their passion and i honestly hope that this like spurns their their interest in theater and really gets them involved in this art form for right. years that's to come. Right, that's the whole right. point. That's the whole point. But at the same time, I also want to make sure that, like, they're not going to put themselves <laughs> in a risky situation, especially when these things go as viral as this has, where the adults in the room still need to kind of operate, on you know, reasonably. So, right. like, maybe don't, like copy the script word for word and they put it on stage but instead do like an original inspiration based on on alien there's like a billion different ways you could go with something like that and still get this amazing result um without you know copying the script word oh for I, word. I, I totally agree i mean yeah. one of my one of my favorite little comic book collections i have it down here in the basement is um there's a terminator omnibus and then there's an aliens omnibus and like a predator omnibus and it's just all little short story comic books and it's like one of my favorite collections down here in the basement. I, I read them all the time. But that universe is just wide open for, you know, making great stories in, you know, other than the Promethe Prometheus sequel. <laughs> right. <laughs> love it. Love it. All right. So what else you got? All right. Uh, this is a quick one. Let's switch it up. Uh, this is off of, um, oh, Geek Tyrant. Man, I, this Geek Tyrant is a great website. So I highly recommend it. It really is. I, I checked yeah. it out throughout the week. Yeah. Um, this one, this article is Rage Against the Machine guitarist Tom Morello uh, DMs Epic Dungeons and Dragons game for neighborhood kids. Wait, what? <laughs> yeah, that's right. On his Twitter account, he wrote, uh, this is March 16th, 2019, the neighborhood kids needed a dungeon master to start a dungeon, Dungeons and Dragons campaign. One man raised his hand. <laughs> Hashtag <laughs> community service. <laughs> Tom Morello. Isn't that great, man? I mean, so I talked about rage and profits of rage last week. So I thought that this was a great like kind of segue to this. But uh, you know, th this guy is, just seems like a, such an awesome dude. So I, I mean, I've been a fan of every single band that he's ever participated in and everything. So shout out to Tom Morello. So yeah. Well, let me ask you this, and, and I'm so glad you brought up Tom Morello because I'm, I mean, obviously a huge fan as well. I love first of all from a, from a just pure artistry standpoint. I think when you break down distinct guitar sounds and style of play like you can't he's unmistakable like of on course. any album of like course. you just that's Tom Morello um one of the best guitarists of of my generation definitely seeing live and, and whatnot um and then obviously as a human being 
with his activism and the things that they've been involved with. I mean, you know, Rage Against the Machine was one of the first bands to really do that whole free Tibet. Um, yep, them and Beastie Boys. Right. Them and Beastie Boys and De La Soul and all those guys. Um, and so you, I, I really respect like him as a human being. And I love that. Yeah, I love that practice, what you preach. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it's one thing to come out with that album. You know, it'd be great to come out with the first Rage album and then they're all just driving Lamborghinis and, you know, right. and sipping Mai Tais or something like that. Exactly. And I think that, like, there there are so many artists, especially nowadays, where, like, you get that, that you know, that record advance and then the audio, the, the, the auto sales go up and all that stuff. And then, like, they become assholes. And then, right. you know, like, I mean, we used to make, you, we used to say people, like, sell out. But now it's like, no, you just become a douche. And, <laughs> you know, like, the, like Rage Against the Machine, like those guys, I, I think they're in the same, you know, obviously, like, generation with, like, Pearl Jam and, you know, Soundgarden when they were around. Where they just didn't, they didn't change. Like, right. it just felt like they were the same guys from start to finish. Yeah, they made money, but at the same time, they never, they never changed their style to try to appease anybody. And uh, with Tom Morello specifically... And especially this being an example of that, I mean, <laughs> yeah, dude. I mean, I, I, what I really hope is that like none of those kids know who he is. They just know him as like cool, cool oh, neighbor Tom. Yeah, you know? yeah right. <laughs> That's amazing, though. That's incredible. That's incredible. Um, anything else on that? Anything you want to add? No, that's it. That's all I that's got. That's it. That's a cool one. Well, actually, that's a kind of a, again a good segue for mine. So I don't know if you saw this. They, I, I had no idea, but this summer. They're doing Woodstock 50. Did you hear about this? Yes, I did. I did hear about this. Are, are you going? Oh, a bunch of my friends. A bunch of my friends want me to go to. Now there's two of them, right? There's there's one in actual Woodstock and there's one in Watkins Glen, right? Am I making that up? I, I I don't know about the other one in actual Woodstock, but I do know. Like it looks like the big ones in Watkins Glen. Okay, yeah, because yeah. someone just told me today that Run the Jewels is going to be there. Yes, yes. So they actually released the lineup, and. You know, there's there's obviously some old art, you know, acts there like Santana's going to be there, John Sebastian's going to be there, and things like that. But then they're obviously going to mix it up with some modern acts like um, Chance the Rapper is going to be there. I think Jay Z is going to do the final day and things like that. So they've got some interesting acts. However, there's been some backlash about like, you know, a lot of people are like, how dare you not do like all Woodstocky type of band so to speak and i'm like do you guys remember what woodstock 99 was like yeah <laughs> dude like you had limp biscuit like headlining like let's oh. let's get let's be honest here um <laughs> but I, I just started it got me thinking about concerts that i've been to and concerts that i wish i had gone to and all the you know the big concert tour summer thing of the 90s that we all kind of went through so i wanted to ask you ben as someone who's been and seen a lot of live music what is the greatest concert you've ever been to you gotta pick oh. one <laughs> if i have to pick one you gotta pick like I'm gonna give you tickets to this concert right now that you can go back and see back in time. <laughs> it's like oh my god, you had to say that. All right. Um like two so, front row front row tickets right now. Here they are. What do you want to go So see? when I was a kid, uh I must have been fifteen, sixteen, and I've done research on this album, so I must have been just turned sixteen. I'll have to look up the actual date of this concert. So I went to Toad's place in New Haven. Nice. You're very familiar, right? Very familiar, yep. Uh, I think it must have been 1996, maybe. like It must have been right around my birthday. And my friend Tom Milkey, he drove me to the Weezer concert. And I've seen Weezer subsequently. But what was special about this concert is 
they played the Blue Album front to back. Whoa. Then they played Pinkerton front to back. Whoa. In the middle, they took a little break, and Rivers Cuomo came out and sang Butterfly, and then they started up Pinkerton. Wow. And so now with the mystique of Pinkerton and how they don't really do that, I've, I've listened on YouTube. A couple times they played the full album front to back, but most of the time it's compilations. Um, and just to realize what I saw back then. I mean, I bought the CD before that concert, so I already knew it a little, but that now being obsessed with that album, having it on vinyl and saying it many, many times through college and done many things with that album, um, that would be the one I'd want to go back to. Nice, nice. For me, yeah, um, definitely, I think it was like 2001. It's like my, I think this was actually my freshman year of college, actually. Okay. Uh, the summer after my freshman year, went to the Oakdale Theater in Wallingford, Connecticut, which I, you know very well, I'm sure. Yep. Um, and I saw Huey Lewis in the News. <laughs> and here's the thing. Like, I've always loved Huey Lewis in the News. Like, I'm like Patrick Bateman. Like, I'm talking about Hip to be Square and all that stuff. Um, these guys got on stage. They played, Their set was two and a half hours. Um, then... They, they wrap up, and everybody, everybody thinks the concert's over. They do their encores, things like that. And then Huey Lewis comes back out, and he's like, you know, I, we were going to end, but I kind of, I'm feeling this crowd. I'm feeling the energy. Um, do you guys want to hear anything else? And we're like, we all started freaking out. Like, we're like, yeah. He's like, well, let's let's start taking requests. So they started, they started taking requests, and then they played for another hour. So, wow. So we got, like, five or six more songs Um just by simply screaming, like, what songs you wanted to hear. Uh, and that's actually how I got to hear uh, Back in Time. They didn't actually do it um, in the original set. So I was like, I'm a huge Back to the Future guy. So I was of like, course. Back in Time. So they played that, which was great. But, yeah, that was that was definitely the best concert um, I, I ever went to. So there you go. There you go. Great any stuff. runners, any runner, close runners up that you can think of? Uh, Queens of the Stone Age is always a great concert. Saw them in 09 and, like, uh, near Schenectady, that was a great concert. Um, David Byrne this year was just masterful. The guy must Amazing. be 77 or something like that, and at least. And he danced and ran around that stage for like two and a half hours. Still doing it. If he, I love it. If he isn't at Woodstock. And then, you know, his voice has gotten better. He, he, he sang um, Burning Down the House, and I think when I saw him like 14 years ago on the last album... He did not perform that song. His voice has gone up, and he, he sang at the end of the set, and he was going strong. He was singing falsetto. He was going nuts. And the way he tours, if you can look him up, and maybe I'll um, I'll like his video on Live Newt Swearing on my YouTube page. Um, there's a great 52-minute video of a concert. Like, it kind of represents what I saw, like, in Brazil, and it's fantastic. So that, I mean, if he doesn't do Woodstock, it'd be ridiculous. So Amazing, amazing. For, for my second place, before we move on, uh, would definitely be high school, junior year, um, Rage Against the Machine and the Wu-Tang Clan mm-hmm. at, at the Meadows in Hartford, where mm. um, they tore down the back fence. of the, It basically started a riot. And here am, I, here am I, a junior high school. My parents are actually picking me up at the concert. And they, they roll in and all these cops are there and like... And my, my mom was like, I don't think I'm ever letting you go to a concert by yourself ever I was supposed again. to be at that concert, actually. That's really funny. Seriously? Yeah, I was really supposed to be at my, I think a couple of my friends, my friend TJ went to that concert oh from my a million gosh. years ago. 
Yeah, yeah no, I, I went with my uh, high school football team. It was kind of like a team building <laughs> you know, exercise. So amazing concert, though. There, lesson learned here, people. Live, go see live music. That's it's right. Incredible experience. So, all right, sir, what else? What's next for you? Um, there's a uh, great article on uh, The Ringer, and they're going through all the, um, I think it was like the 50 best films of 1999. They're doing like a 20-year anniversary. And they there's this great article by um, Rob Arvilla, and it's about being John Malkovich was a head trip masterpiece, one of the best Ooh. films of 1999. Being John Malkovich, when that came out, I remember getting the DVD right away. I remember watching it over and over again. The DVD, I remember, is fantastic. I haven't watched that in a while. Um, and that's a great movie to show people for the first time. Uh, you know, there's a, they have specials on the DVD that are just really bizarre and go along with um, the movie state itself. There's the history of the, uh, is it the seven and a half floor, I think, yep. where yep. he works? Yep. Um, I wouldn't know if it was six and a half or seven and a half. And so uh, there's a history of that on the DVD. And then there's another interview with uh, Spike Jones, but it's under duress. That's in quotes. And by the end of the interview, they have to pull over the car and he throws up out the side. I don't, I don't know what's going on. It's so bizarre. And so it's one of my favorite DVDs, one of my favorite movies. I, I used to quote it all the time. And this article just kind of brought it flooding back. And I really need to watch it again. So I'm, I'll be screening that soon again. Oh my gosh! I mean, we talked we talked about Tarantino earlier about having this distinctive voice. Same thing for Spike Jones in a much different way. Like, yep. he's just such an interesting filmmaker. And what I love about being John Malkovich is, first of all, it's 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 a preposterous movie. Like that's that's what I love about it. It's like on like how do you pitch that movie to a studio? And <laughs> like it's. And to even get John Malkovich to be like on board, and not only that, but like throwing a hundred in this movie. Oh my god! Um, well, I thought you know when I first thought when the movie came out, I was like, all right, they probably were like, okay, who's the most famous person we can get to play themselves? But no, the script was always Malkovich. <laughs> That's what I've heard. It's not like amazing. oh, let's just try to get the you know, let, let's take the most amount of money that we can get and throw it at the person, and then we'll change the script. No, I heard it was just Malkovich the whole time. Amazing, amazing. Yeah. And you know what I also really appreciate about that movie too is you're taking these these actors in a really interesting point in their career, and and they're all going for it. You know, like you've you've, you've really never seen Cusack do a performance like that before. Nope. You cer you certainly didn't see Cameron Diaz do anything up to that point. Definitely like not. that either. And then that for for me that was my introduction to Catherine Keener. Catherine Keener is fantastic in that movie. Amazing. And that kind of kickstarted everything that I've, I've loved about her ever since. Right. And it's just like, yeah, all the way God. up to, uh, all the way up to get out, which she was phenomenal in as well. Amazing. So right. like, it's, it's really just, it's such an excellent. And I love how it ends. It's one yep. of my favorite endings of any movie <laughs> I've seen. And it's just, it's incredible. It's incredible. Is that, when you when you I haven't seen that article on the ringer. Was that number one on their their countdown or? Uh, that was this one guy's number one. Okay, all right. Yep. Gotcha. What was do you, what was the other some of the other one number ones? Do you remember? Uh, no, I didn't read that article because I got hooked up on uh, on this movie and I was like, yeah, that's the winner. <laughs> nice. Well, yeah, I mean, and you know what's interesting is like a lot of people want to give like Spike Jones flack for like, you know, doing stuff with like the Jackass crew, for instance, and then right. like you know. 
uh, where the wild things are wasn't you know so great and blah blah blah. But like, I don't know. For me, he's always been a very consistent filmmaker. I mean, I thought her was one of the best films I've ever seen, hands down. Yeah. And um, you know, he's one of those guys again that's like anything he does, I'm good. I'm with you. I'm there. So there you go. Anything else you want to add to that? No. All right. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> You've said your piece. I love That's it. That's it. I, I say good day. I say good day, sir. I say good day. Um, so my next thing. So, Ben, I know you spent the weekend watching a lot of college basketball. Oh, yeah. As did I. Um, my bracket's still intact, as I hear yours is, too. Which is, That's right. Yeah, Michigan over Purdue. That's who I have. There you go. I've got Gonzaga over North Carolina, so stamp it. Um, I don't know. Did you watch? The, there was some buzz about the Michigan State first-round game. I don't know if you saw this. There's a clip where, like, at some point, like, some player on Michigan State does something wrong. And Tom Izzo, the head coach of Michigan State, just goes off on this kid, like, <laughs> screaming at him. And he actually has to be held back by players and assistant Whoa. coaches from screaming at this kid. And I don't, you know, I don't know the ins and outs of basketball in terms of plays and, like, whether this kid was supposed to be at the top of the key or, or whatnot. But from what I saw, it doesn't look like he did anything you know, egregious to deserve a reaction like that. However, um, a lot of people online and through social media, like blasted Tom Izzo for his reaction and have basically said like, this guy seems like a bully. He's jerking. When I watched the video, to me, it just looked like another coach yelling at an right. athlete. Right. Didn't look like, you know, Bobby Knight style choking you to death. I was just going to say that. Right, know, exactly. Throwing a chair. It was just your typical, coach getting on a player and I, I it struck me that this is not the first time I've heard this I've seen this in a lot of other instances with sports where parents are upset with coaches when they get on their kids I've also seen it in schools where a teacher might be hard on a student but then that student complains to the parents and the parents complain to the school and then you know you can't treat that kid you know badly anymore and things like that and I want to ask you Ben are we are we getting softer as a society yes <laughs> of course yeah i mean of course it just any kind of social commentary anyone that has you know can pop up to the top of the comments on a twitter or a, a, a youtube video you know what i mean they, they they pop up the worst reviews and they pop up the best reviews so you have these contrasting conflicting, conflicting opinions that just come right up and it doesn't mean that they're valid they just come up to the top and so no matter what it is, a sport, a movie, a song, whatever, you know, get ready to be trolled. And, you know, I feel like that kills creativity and it also stops people from being passionate. And, you know, I, I'm come from a land of Jim Beheim, a very passionate man, when tearing his coat off and yelling at referees and doing all that things. And, you know, I watched um, the Maryland game where the guy, the coach got teed up for swearing at a ref. But it fired up his team, and they almost came back to win that game. So, I don't know. It's kind of the 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 role of the coach in my eyes, especially in basketball. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think in in basketball and and especially football, where yeah. a, a lot of it is screaming. <laughs> um, well, yeah. I mean, football, you're you're so far away. You know what I mean? Right. For, you have so many players, but basketball, you really got five guys out there bench full of like 10 and so <laughs> when you scream at a guy that you're up in their face <laughs> and i think i think what people forget is that like you know this is 
these basketball players, these athletes, they, they know this, this is going to happen. Like they signed up for this. And, yeah. um, you know, I, as long as I think that there's, there's definitely a line that should not be crossed and Bobby Knight notoriously crosses it. But, you know, I, I think that a lot of times people forget that these things build character, that these relationships with these coaches and athletes are much deeper than what we see on television. Of course. And, you know, uh, I just saw a great ESPN 30 for 30 about John Calipari and like all the players say like, yes, he yelled and screamed at us, but I also know that he loves us and things like that. So, and it just builds that trust be, you know, between these people. But again, because we're living in this outrage culture where we have to like light, you know, proverbial pitchforks on Twitter and things like that. Um, all this stuff kind of gets lost and people lose jobs over, you know, frivolous things like this. So, Right. I mean, and just being, you know, taking it back to acting and directing, I am definitely a fiery director. I've definitely got <laughs> in the face of some actors. So, and sometimes you need to take people to that place for, to better their performance, whether it be sports or acting. Yeah. Well, you did it with me. I don't know if you uh -huh. remember this. <laughs> yeah, so <I> do. <laughs> we were, um, we were, I think it was, you were directing a, a, a one act by uh, Robert Patrick. Yep. Who, by the way, I'm Facebook friends with him. Nice. Amazing. Um, and I thought I was doing great. Like I thought I'm, I'm pretty doing pretty well and, and whatnot. And then like, I think it was like either after rehearsal or during rehearsal, you, you pulled me aside and you said, Chris, uh, I, I don't think you're getting this. You know, something on the lines like, I, I need you to give me everything oh. you got here. Oh shit. Like, I, oh shit. I don't remember that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh man. Um, but I remember that cause I, you know, here I am thinking I'm giving you everything I got. And it was a weird script because um, Very weird script. Me, me and this girl Jessica were just kind of throwing out like, like phrases and sayings and pop culture references and stuff like that. And I'm thinking I'm I'm giving you 100. percent And you took me aside, and said I wasn't. And I I it was interesting as I said to myself I could have reacted much different. I could have been like, well, fuck you, man. I you know right. I'm Chris Peterson. You know, blah blah blah. Um, but no, I mean that that I was because of my respect for you at the time. Um, I at, was the like, time. <laughs> at the time. <laughs> now my respect for you is now, shit. Now, because you keep bringing up Gone with the Wind. Uh, that's oh, on. yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I was like, I took that note to heart, and I think it all worked out in the end. But that was that was a, a good a good moment for me. And then, I, you know, I think a lot of people might have reacted differently. In fact, just to, I've, when I direct certain people, they did react differently. And we're right. like, how, da how dare you give me a note like that? And blah, blah, blah. So... Yeah, yeah and, and you know, and it's the fine line. Sometimes you have to fire someone up and, you know, if you have to get up in their face on the court, so be it. But, you know, just, I don't know, it, it is a fine line and you are, you're in charge of like five athletes on the court or you're in charge of student actors. It, it's a real fine line of how far you want to take things, but you have to have a good performance. And hopefully at the end of the day, after the end of a performance, people will respect you. I mean, people have done it to me. And, you know, then I see the finished product on film or I see, you know, the audience's reaction when I do something. I go, oh, that's why the director was saying that to me. So, I don't know. It's kind of like a pay it forward thing. You know, it, it would be one thing if I was a director that never acted in my life. You know what I mean? And I'm just doing it to get my jollies off. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, you know, it, I know how it works. And especially, you know, now that I'm entering this life of coaching kids and stuff, I mean... 
granted it'll just be t-ball this year <laughs> but love it you know i don't think i'm gonna get in anyone's face <laughs> this year we'll see who knows yeah you never know it's a it's a it's a grueling season <laughs> uh, i love it but yeah I you know it. it's it, that's what it's all about and in this culture to bring it all the way back like in, in this culture of outrage culture you know we we get to rewatch a 15 second youtube clip over and over and over again and look at their reactions look at their faces and look at you know it's like seeing something slow-mo, like an instant replay. We don't mm-hmm. get to see the whole game, the whole picture, the whole practice. Where, you know, where behind the scenes, this kid could have been a shit in the locker room. And now the coach is getting it to him. He just happened to be filmed now. And uh, I don't know. It's a big picture thing, you know. I'm with you. I'm with you. Um, all right. So what else you got? Is this is this your number five? This is number five, sir. I've been keeping track. All right. Go, um, go for it. So... Uh, this is from my friend's site, the 25yearslatersite.com, the one I mentioned, I think, on the second uh, show. And they do TV's film, but it's uh, it was based on a David Lynch fan site, and they kind of grew and blossomed and stuff. Um, but their article is, Joe Bob Briggs returns to Shudder with the last drive-in series, and we got another trailer to prove it. So uh, this is by Valerie Thompson. But uh, Joe Bob Briggs was a TV host. He would host horror movies on Monster Vision on TNT. And he would also do it in his home state, Texas, and got really famous. I met him at uh, Scarecon, or Scarecuse, they, I forget what they call it now, um, up here at one of these uh, horror conventions. And he's a great guy, wealth of nice. knowledge of cult movies. Uh, one of my favorite kind of cult figures in the whole movie genre. He's he's in a deleted scene of Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2. I don't know if he's in other horror movies. <laughs> That's Whoa. pretty obscure. Um, nice. But uh, he does like, drive-in marathons on TV, but this one's going to be like every Friday on Shudder, he's going to be doing like uh, double features of horror movies and he hosts. And uh, one of my favorite memories of Joe Bob Briggs, and I brought this up to him, you know, like it, I, I geeked out on this guy. I feel so bad because of all the celebrities I've ever met, this was like the one I could talk to the most. Um, he hosted uh, The Deliberate Stranger, the story of Ted Bundy with Mark Harmon one of my favorite made-for-TV movies, and he hosted, Whoa. like, all eight hours of it and uh, hosted it, like, live on the air. And I remember sitting in my dorm room at Elmira College with my roommate, staying up till, like, four in the morning watching this thing, and it was just epic, epic times. And so forever, he is just, like, in my book, top-notch kind of guy, and he's just really funny and good stuff. Good stuff, man. I like it. Yep. I mean, I think you just you nailed it. I've got I, – I can't really add anything to that, so <laughs> – yeah, that's it. I just wanted to mention that in the site. So there you Amazing. go. Amazing. Amazing. I love it. Um, all right. So my for not for my number five, uh, I don't know if I ever told you this. One of my my teenage childhood crushes growing up was Christina Ricci, who okay. uh, she was in the Adams family movies and all that stuff. And And more uh, importantly, like, Buffalo Sixty Six. More much more importantly, Buffalo Sixty Six. Good lord. Um and she recently gave an interview, which I thought was pretty interesting. I mean, it's not, I shouldn't say recently. It was actually a couple months ago, but uh, she, ba- I just stumbled upon it now. She basically says that uh, she would, you know, based on her experiences as a child actor and how it took away from really having just a normal childhood, so to speak, uh, she would never let her kids become actors. Oh. Like, she's like, no, absolutely not. Like, I... I want I want something else for them, and I want them to experience childhood and things like that. Because I she she talked about how a lot of times she was miserable and really couldn't be just a kid, and it got me thinking about you know you and I are both fathers of young 
boys. And uh, my son is really into performing uh, already. Uh, your son looks like he's you know a future you know sports star and what, you know whatnot. <laughs> right, right. Um, but let me ask you, like, if if your son said, "Dad, I want to do like to enter a field where there is really not a great track record of success, whether it be I want to become a professional baseball player, from my son to become an actor or something like that," uh, you know, how do you do you do you kind of know exactly how you're going to address that, or do you know? how like supportive you're going to be and things like that. Like, how do you, how would you tackle that? So to speak? Well, this kind of brings it back to um, what I do for a living and that's, you know, mental health counselor at an outpatient drug and alcohol. Counselor, blah, 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 blah. But um, when I talk to people about emotional intelligence versus intelligence, uh, you know, a lot of the things that I learned personally was in sports, was in theater, you know, emotional regulation takes a, a hell of a lot of emotional regulation to be an actor. And then it takes a lot of emotional regulation to be in like, you know, buzzer beater, shooter, basketball games, even at the boys club or in middle school and high school. And a lot of things that I still, uh, a lot of lessons that I learned a long time ago still help me to deal with intense situations at work or in real life. And so no matter what the kid wants to do, there are lessons there. Uh, you know, I might be, <laughs> you might be actually be a better father to someone that's going to go into the acting field because you'll be more realistic about it. You know, uh, like, hey. hey, maybe bulk up your minor <laughs> 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 or, you know, go to bartending school or something like that. Uh, so I, I, I think, you know, no matter what the interest is of a kid, you know, I think it takes a lot of challenging talks to see if something's going to be an interest in a hobby or a career. I think that would be the discussion at that time. Right, right. That's a good point. Yeah, no, because it's like, you know, obviously as a parents, you know, you want best for your kids. I mean, you don't want them to be, to struggle or anything like that. But at the same time, you want to, you know, be supportive. And obviously there's been studies upon studies about the positive impact that, you know, supportive parents uh, are and, and, and the result there. But, you right. know, it's in my line of work, you know, where I'm, I'm talking with high school students and, and you know, talking about, you know, going to a, an art school, so to speak. Um, you know, it's, I have those conversations with parents every day where it's like, you know, we want the best for our kid, but we just don't know if this is, you know, the right path for them, but we also want them to be happy. So it's just like this really right. strong, this huge struggle nowadays. Well, and uh, you know what, and, I, and when I teach uh, theater therapy and, you know, creative writing therapy and, and all the different little aspects of my job, you know, one of the things I say is, even though I randomly ended up in my line of work, I still use my theater degree and my creativeness as a different perspective when I'm approaching um, participants at my work or anything like that. I get a unique perspective as opposed to a psych major, you know, mm, and, yeah. and, you know, as, as we all know, they're a, a different breed. And uh, <laughs> I could say some some things right now, but uh, they're a different breed and I come in at a different perspective on things sometimes for better or for worse. You know, they might be classically trained in psychology, but when it comes down to it, my job is really reading people, uh, getting information and, you know, coming up with the best plan of action. And I think, you know, all of the lessons I learned in everything I've done bring me to this moment. Nice, man. Let's end it there. There you go. Yeah. All right. So folks, that's our five on five. Um, 
Let's go YouTube it. YouTube yeah. it. <laughs> Which we'll insert. We're gonna insert like a theme song or something. Yeah, we got. I'll work on it. I got me and my friend Dan. Well, I think I'm thinking acoustic for this one. We're gonna we're gonna break it old school. I love it. I love it. Uh, so what do you got for us this week, Ben? Okay, so. I was kind of torn. I was telling Chris, I was kind of torn. I don't know if I'm going to do, I know what I'm going to do now, but right, yeah, um, yeah, I didn't know if I was going to do a couple, but you can check these out on my uh, live nude swearing uh, YouTube page under liked videos. I think you just search it and see my liked videos. Um, but I want to talk about a man who has a YouTube page. Uh, Cine Massacre is his main page, but he is the angry video game nerd. Yes. Uh, Chris, you're familiar? Legend. Legend. So when people come over and go YouTubing with me, the night usually breaks down into watching some angry video game nerd. Uh, I don't know what season or what video he's on. He must be in the 200s or something like that. So the angry video game nerd, just to give a brief rundown, is just this guy, when he was younger, he would play old school video games like Nintendo games and get super angry, usually pound a couple rolling rocks, and then swear a lot at the video game because the video game was terrible and he'd get frustrated. And it, he really fine-tuned his YouTube page and these videos into more specific critiques of the game. And it's some of the funniest videos you'll ever see. Um, my highlights are um, Big Rigs is one of an amazing episode. Uh, Monster Bus is Monster Bus one word. Or Crazy Bus. Crazy Bus one word. Crazy is, Bus, yeah. Crazy Bus one word is one of my favorites. And um, Silver Surfer is really good. And oh, what was the one I was just watching? But there's there's one uh, top ten hardest NES games, the AVGN AVGN clip collection. So AVGN, if you just clip that into YouTube, highly recommend it. And that is my only video of the week. If you haven't watched any angry video game nerds and you grew up in our generation or around it playing old school video games, you need to get on this guy and just do it. It's just awesome. I mean, you could spend a, a whole week just watching his stuff. I mean, it's just a whole it's week. fantastic. Yeah, it's just and ridiculous. and, and he, he's never wrong either. That's the thing. Like, like the games that he plays that I played too, like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles One, Back to the Future, um, they were the most frustrating games ever. And oh my god! Yeah, his episode of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles is so true. I was like, I, when I watched that, I remember I memorized that underwater level going through the seaweed and stuff. To a point where I, I was so good at it, but it's the, one of the hardest games of all time. Oh my gosh! And like Fester's Quest, and like oh. it's just like he just nails it. And um, I, 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 I beat Fester's Quest with my sister. Yeah, I beat it. You should have filmed it, like I, I like a camcorder <laughs> over your shoulder for proof. Um, I love. I also love it when he does like film franchise video games, like where he does all the Terminator games. He does all the. Oh, those are um, great. He does like this one episode where he plays like eight games based on arnold schwarzenegger films and it's just outstanding so like yeah one of my favorites is um the game boy accessories have you seen that one <laughs> yes and there's the, there's this kid the kid's sleeping mask it's, it's out of control dude oh and you know i, I bought half that shit too so like, i know like... i had all the lights and all the battery packs <laughs> i had all that shit i like the battery pack you had to insert like the tines into like the the metal it was oh, like a solar Lord. panel it's out of control like that, I had that, never figured out how to work it, and just kind of <laughs> left it in the corner. I had the power pad. I never had the robot, though. I never had the Nintendo no, robot. I, no, that's out of control. That's, that was before my time, but uh, craziness. That's a good one, man. I, I like that. So, yeah, Angry Video Nerd, great, great. I love it. I love it. Well, for my side, you know, I don't know, Ben. Like, every now and then I kind of like to abuse myself mentally, so to speak. Yeah. Um, 
you know, kind of put yourself in some modes. Sometimes you're not in the best of moods. And something I stumbled across is that the country of Taiwan mm-hmm. does these, I, I don't know whose idea it was, but they do these commercials. They do these commercials like for insurance or they do it for, you know, education or, you know, th- like basic products. But they decide to make the most depressing short films you've ever seen based on these things. So, like, <laughs> I watched one the other day called My Dad's a Liar. And <laughs> it's this little it's this little girl who's probably, like, seven, eight years old. And she's writing a letter. She writes a letter to my dad saying, like, my dad's great. He's awesome. He likes to spend time with me. But he's a liar. And the dad's reading this letter. He's like, what? what what's, you know, what do you mean I'm a liar? And it shows that apparently she knows that, like, all of the happy things that he does for her, it's all of this like facade because he's actually struggling with like trying to find a job. He can't, you uh-huh. know, all, like they show him buying ice cream for the girl, but then they show him like later on, like counting pennies to pay for the ice cream and it's stuff like that. And you're just like at the end, like if it's, if you're not bawling your eyes out, like you're a robot basically. Uh, and I, it's, I see, I, I typed in Taiwan commercial sad and they came right up. All oh my, and there's, and there's like, there's dozens of them. There's that, three minutes, dude. And they're three minutes long. And like, there's one about like these sisters, and one's a cancer patient, and the other one's like not really taking Stop care it. of her that well. And like, it's it's insane. And at the end, they're like all state insurance. You're like, oh my god, that was an insurance commercial. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, I gotta call. I gotta call all state. Like. Yeah. <laughs> Well, they say, you know, that's a very Don Draper approach. They can say the best commercials are emotional commercials. I mean, that's, your heartstrings. I felt like I was watching the Carousel episode there. I was like, <laughs> oh, my God. Like, I mean, I don't know who's, whose idea that was in Taiwan, but like, you know, standing O to you, sir. Like, that's that's ridiculous. I mean, you know, here in the United States, like, you know, every now and then, like, you get some of those, like the Folgers Crystals commercials. I remember, you know, tried to get that emotional thing. Definitely Kodak did it a lot. Um, but uh, nothing, nothing on this level. Nothing man, on this Taiwanese level. guys. I'm, I'm just looking at these titles. The titles are out of control. Like, go ahead, say some of the titles. Please. Yeah. All right. Um, here we go. Uh, tearjerker commercials create internet challenge. How easy it is to forget. Love story, sad story about a father's love. My oh, dad's God. story. Uh, the sister one right there, unsung hero. It just shows these sad Taiwanese people looking <laughs> dead at the, the camera. And they, I, don't, they I mean, take that, they should take that idea from Don Draper and have a prostitute <laughs> give a little kid a Hershey bar. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't, I, 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 I know some Taiwanese people, and they're they're very, they're not sad people overall. <laughs> yeah, so. it's just a sad country or something. Like I don't, I don't understand. That's how the first place you go in a commercial. Like, by the way, I know it's Taiwan. Let's just depress the hell out of people with this commercial, <laughs> and we're and we're and we're selling Pepsi. So like. I'm gonna get sad. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I got I gotta dig into this. This is great. You gotta dig into this. It's it's one of those things where it's like, oh god, you can't you can't believe it. But well, it's I'm glad that I'm glad that one of our picks was happy and the other one's extremely sad. <laughs> extremely sad and confusing. So it's gonna, it's gonna it's gonna make you want to call your parents afterwards. Oh. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, that's all I had, folks. Ben, anything else? Uh, did you want to mention? Plug? You know, promote anything at all? No, dude, just, uh, well, I'll be coming up with a theme song for the YouTube segment, and uh, <laughs> uh, I don't know, like, uh, I built a little home theater in the house, so I'm going to be using Whoa. that this weekend. Yeah, I bought, I got a screen, and then I got some blue velvet curtains, an obvious reference to one of my favorite movies, 
and I hung them on the sides and I did the projector screen or projector off the ceiling. So big man project. And my friend Tim's going to come over and do electric, like Electra, uh, do switches for it. So it looks all pretty. So I can't wait. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah. So, um, but, um, but my YouTube page yes. is uh, live newt swearing. So just search it on YouTube. It comes up and you'll see all my like videos, everything I, I promote in this. And I added that video of the first Rage Against the Machine concert to my like video. So amazing. And folks, just to let you know, we are in the process of constructing like all these social media pages for all of our podcasts. So things like that. So um, desperately seeking entertainment will have its own Twitter account, the whole nine yards. So yeah, uh, people we were, were asking about how they can comment on the episode. So I can't wait for that. Definitely. That's I, I that I would say within probably 24 hours of this episode area, it's all going to be launched hey, great, uh, great. online. Uh, you know, obviously, you can find this podcast and all of the podcasts on Onstage Blog Network at onstageblog.com. We're also on Spotify, iTunes, and Podbean. So definitely check those out. We're also looking for more podcast networking. You know, the, the whole nine yards. We're gonna go. We're gonna go big, basically. Uh, definitely look out for a brand new episode of the Movie Musical Shakedown this week. We just did we just did a deep dive on Disney's Pocahontas, which okay. is a much which was a much more problematic movie than I thought it was going to be. Um, <laughs> Excellent. I don't think they're going to make that live action anytime no, soon. No, 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 probably not. At least let's hope not, because in real life she was twelve when this all happened. So all right. um, go ultra lot, real, ultra dark. <laughs> yes, like a lot of yeesh moments in in that movie. So uh, definitely check that one out. Maybe but a tenth, maybe a tenth film by Tarantino. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Remake Disney's. <laughs> Remake Disney's Pocahontas. And, and, <laughs> He's got the balls to do it. <laughs> I mean, I'll put it this way: in the animated film, there's already a, a shit ton of guns already. So, oh, nice! It's like perfect in his wheelhouse. So there you go. Um, all right, folks. Well, we will see you next week right here on Desperately Seeking Entertainment. Ben, thank you so much as always. Thank you, guys. See ya. See ya.